Holy Motors. The Downward Spiral. This is Off the List. Welcome to Off the List. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time if you're new. This is the podcast where Ben, who is my partner in this whole endeavor, and me, Hello. Vera, hey, we have things on our list that we would like to cross off our list, namely movies and music. Ben is in charge of all the music. I am in charge of all the movies. In charge sounds so serious. Not in charge. Yeah, ben I was about to say, where's my, where's my, where's my <laughs> bean security badge? <laughs> I provide the movie suggestions and one of these days we will get a season of a TV show on here um, mm, but yeah so that's what we do um, and then you know we just talk about them have a good time our film today is Holy Motors our album today is The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails and we're going to start by talking about Holy Motors the film um, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> so, oh, Holy God. Motors was released in 2012, which to me is surprising. It seems like a, a film that um, would be released so many more years ago than when it was. But it was released in 2012. It's a French film written and directed by French director Leos Carax, who also, you may be familiar with his name from um, a film called Boy Meets Girl, or most recently a film called Annette. There's also a French film in there called Amance du Point Neuf. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but it felt great to say. <laughs> it's starring Denis Levant, Edith Scobe, Ava Mendez, Kylie Minogue, and more. And I know you're like, hmm, Ava Mendez and Kylie Minogue. Yes, I said the same thing. So it's set in Paris. It's about a man named Mr. Oscar who has a job as what seems to be an actor. Well, he's definitely an actor, Mm -hmm. but there's a catch somewhere in there. So he's an actor, and it shows just a day in his life as he drives around or is driven around Paris by his um, driver, Celine, and as he changes his costume and makeup to fulfill different roles that people have hired him to portray. The catch is that you never see any cameras and you never see any audience members. So... You know, like you're constantly sort of wondering, is what I'm seeing really happening or Mm -hmm. not? I guess I should start by saying the film is incredibly well received. It was submitted in 2012 um, Con Festival and it competed for the Palme d'Or, which is like the biggest award you could win. It didn't win it, I don't think, but it was consequently called like one of the best films definitely of that year. It's gotten 92% around Tomatoes and 84% on Metacritic, which is incredibly impressive um it's so many people love this film it's it's really shocking it's really confusing it's really fun at times um and it the way that it is able to be all of those things is it basically shows you different vignettes (laughs) or different stories of the different jobs that mr oscar is performing so there's nine jobs in total definitely interesting um before i say what i think about this film and particularly my history with this film ben what did you think of this film (laughs) i am kind of in the same place where i'm like i I think the best way to describe how i feel about it is kind of like the timeline of watching it um 
so as it started, I was invariably confused because I did, like you said, and I didn't look anything up and watching it, your brain is just constantly like grabbing at things and trying to come up with theories of what's going on. And the lines in the movie I found are actually like more sparse than you think they're going to be or like lines that kind of like mean something to kind of the overall film. So when they come, you're like really trying to grab onto them, but you don't understand at all what they mean. Um, and then as the movie kept going, I was getting just more and more pissed off with it because it felt more and more up its own ass. And mm -hmm. I was jokingly, I was watching with a friend and I kept saying to the friend, God, I hate the French, like again and again and again as the movie kept going. And then when the limousine scene um, which is the final scene of the movie where essentially all these like actors are kind of like in the holy motors driving around in limos and that's where they mm -hmm. like change for their next performance they all get put away at the end of the night and the limousines start talking to each other and um i closed my laptop because i just was done with the film entirely and so i woke up the next morning and i like rewatched parts of it to see if i still thought it was <laughs> dumb as hell and it, I think the initial like thought was just this is like the worst thing that Nadira has sent me just because it's so far up its own ass and I yeah. really really am frustrated with it um, and then as like the week s since watching it have gone on I've gotten like a little bit more generous to it um, I really do like its portrayal of there's like one line in the movie that I thought was really beautiful where he says that the reason why he keeps acting is for the beauty, the beauty of, the, of act. the act. It's like the most it, yeah, famous the beauty of the line act. in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that that, and then like that theme that of how that ties into the entire movie and the way that he's just performing these roles um, is particularly like, I thought that was moving and beautiful. I was like, okay, I'll give the movie this. Like I can definitely give it that. It, it really does feel up its own ass. And it also feels like it suffers from failing to make a lot of a point in a couple of its major themes like when i read online that this is supposed to like say major things about like internet and online culture it's not i was like i was like where where it's how not. what yeah my main frustration with this film has nothing to do with the film and everything to do with the discourse that erupted about the film after so okay i guess i should explain my history with this film which is not long but in the sentence that i'm about to say like, whatever. Laugh about it, then go cry to your mother. I don't care. I was introduced to this film in a film class. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I really appreciated it, mostly because I was very confused by it. And I think because the film is so... Well, first of all, I think Denis Levant gives, like, one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen in my entire fucking he's life. He's fucking crazy. He is he's insane. insane. He's insane. And he's, he partners with Leos Carax in, like, so many films. Like, it's, like, his go-to guy, you know? I made a joke halfway through that I was like, I feel like this movie is just the director thought of, like, nine cool scenes that this actor would be really good in. He's like, I'll just make it a movie. So I was introduced to this film in a film class, and I was really taken aback by it because it is so dedicated in its in its format, like in the conceit of the thing that you get so tired of trying to figure it out that you just let it go. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a part of 
the thing. And so th- there became this really big conversation. First of all, Leos Kadox does not like doing interviews. That's number one. Number two, he's done like one or two interviews about this film. And it's like no one ever read them because all of the discourse that you see of the film is like, oh, it's making such grand statements about whatever, whatever. And he's been interviewed about it and he's like i don't like explaining my films what's the point like there's no no like he's literally Mm. like no and there was this whole discourse around like what does it all mean and there's a story that popped up that was like the film is so simple that my child or like i took a child to see the film and they understood it like an 11 year old child understood it What? and that's true because when you think about it and like what he ends up saying the film is about is just about experiences of life it's literally just about experiences of life. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not trying mm-hmm. to make any big statement about anything. It's literally just trying to show like in his words, he says this world I invented. It's a way of telling the experience of a life without using a classical narrative, without using flashbacks. It's trying to have the whole range of human experience in one day, which like it succeeds at that. Mm-hmm. It very much yeah. succeeds at that. There is no bigger. He's really interested in the idea of like technological advancement and um, virtual reality and all that stuff. But he's not trying to make any like sweeping claims about that or about or like cinema. Like I kept getting like hints towards cinema a lot of times, but I, I, I didn't know like like again like it's not like he's trying to say anything. It's more like he's just trying to like poke at the aesthetics of it. Yeah, he really is just like trying to show just all these different like walks of life in one film and just like how incredibly vast the range of human experience can be. He says, I don't necessarily know what the verb means here, but he says the film was imagined in a very short period of time. I think it only took two weeks to film. And he said that the first scene that he thought of is the first scene that Oscar is in, which is the elderly beggar woman, because he was like, I was going to make a documentary about that because it's, it's incredible to me that these women are all around Paris and just everywhere but specifically Paris and that they've been here ever since I was a kid and they're still here now and so he was gonna make a documentary about them but then he was like but then I realized the documentary would never end and then I think the banker was next and the you know it's Mm. literally he's just thinking about people that are like ever present and it really upset me that later when I started to read about this film people were like oh it's about all of these things and I'm like you're missing the beauty of the film which is like it's simplicity yeah you know, at the end of the day, it's literally so, again, it's so true. It's so simple that a kid could get it. It's just about life. Which, by the way, Leos Karak's also in that same interview, um, he was like, I didn't think that Denis could pull off all of these scenes. He was like, from the last time I worked with him, I th- there were one or two scenes that I was worried that he would not be able to pull off. And then he did it. And I was like, oh, shit, you've been you've transformed as an actor since the last time we worked Mm -hmm. together, which I think is also just like incredibly sweet. You know, it's just like, it's just, he's just like, I just want to make this film. It's about life. Okay. Mm -hmm. I should also know, because I should have said this at the top that in the section that you mentioned and where he says like, he keeps doing it for the beauty of the act. He specifically said, so basically what happens is he's in the limo and someone who you assume is like a business person at Holy Motors who knows what he does basically is waiting for him in the limo. He asks him, like, why do you still do it? Do you still find joy out of it? And he's like, well, actually, it gets harder now that I can't see the cameras. So it's alluding mm-hmm. to the fact that there are cameras that you can't see. But it gets harder now that, like, I can't see the cameras, but I do it for the beauty of the act. So we're we're made to assume that at least there are cameras that we can't see. And there are definitely people watching from what the, the man in the suit says. So there's that to be said. But anyway, I wanted to know if you had a, a favorite 
like vignette, a favorite story, um, a favorite moment, mm-hmm. or a least favorite? There was something really compelling about the father and daughter conversation. That's my favorite too. Yeah, I, I yeah. really, I thought that the father and daughter conversation, the way that he finds out she lies and then his, the way he acts disappointment and teaching his daughter a lesson is really, really, like it's a really beautiful, and I, I don't know, like I, I think that once I stopped thinking about this movie as like a plot and more thought about this movie in that same way as like the beauty of the act, I began to appreciate it a lot more. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it changed my mind about it and that I love it yeah. now. I, I really still feel like it's head is up its own ass way too much and it kind of pissed me off at a lot of points. But regardless, like I, there are just these individual moments of the movie that I, I completely understand why so many people, especially kind of in the film film circle are like, Oh my God. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that like, that's your takeaway from the film because I can like, I think a lot of people think that about any artsy fartsy film. That's just like not your typical narrative in general, but especially ones like this where it takes it like to the extreme. So the idea of like a film being pretentious is one that's been floated past many a director, but is specifically floated past like Wes Anderson ever since like the start of his career. Yeah. And while I disagree the majority of his films, his most recent film was the first time where I was like, yeah, but I really like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I I feel like, (laughs) I feel like you're being a little pretentious here, Wes. Like, I love you being pretentious, whatever. Like you can give me your pretentious all day. Like I am a Stan, but like, let's just call call a buck a buck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, it's so funny to me that I really enjoy this film. And like, I don't even, I just don't even think that hard about it, especially since it's very clear that like Leos Carax doesn't think that hard about it. So it's like, how could the film be up his own ass? It feels like I made it in two weeks and it's just about life, bro. I don't know. Like, except for the fact that like he had the resources to make it, I think, which is another, he wanted to make this big budget English language film and like, couldn't get any resources behind it. So he was like, fine, I guess I'll just make a small French film. And then he had the idea for this. So that is, it's even more like, he's just like doing whatever the fuck he wants. Like it's yeah, even more just it's like, true. it's kind of just so happens that this film just like happened to be made, it seems like. But it's so funny to me that I'm feeling that recently with a film that you really like and you're feeling it <laughs> with a film that's like fairly recent with a film that I really like. Um and I just find it so funny and delightful. Yeah, no, and it it might change like the more I think about it, and or or more appropriately, it more it might change the less I think about it. Yeah, I think I also had. I mean, I saw this film for the first time like two or three years ago, and this is only my second time seeing it. Like, I've had that much time with it. Like when I first saw it, I was mostly confused more than anything. Like I didn't have any like, oh, I hated it. I loved it. I was just kind of like, oh, well, that was weird. And then I moved on because I was in school mm-hmm. and who has time to think about things for that long. Um, but now looking back on it and watching it again, I'm just like, mm, this is kind of beautiful. Like, it's just kind of beautiful to like see a man be so, try his best to be so entrenched in the experiences of other people and to also see the like physical toll that that takes on him as well. Because even the like guy who's doing it is like, you look tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah now ain't that about a bitch (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i just i just think 
I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really like it. I don't think that it's, I'm also just a sucker for films that are just like break narrative structure in some way. Like Memento is one of my favorite films. Mm. And I'm very well aware of the fact that that film, some people say is like just okay at best. So like, you know, it is what it is. Maybe this is just made for me, but I also do have to say that I agree with you where like the first time I saw it, it was just kind of like, that was weird. Then I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes weird is fun. Yeah. Like I would prefer yeah. watching this to Marvel's the Eternals. Maybe that's the big peg here. Mm. I would prefer watching this to Marvel's The Eternals any fucking day. I, I that would, movie. I agree with that. Even I haven't even seen it. And I trust you. That movie, Benjamin. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Cool. Finally moving on. Yes. Finally moving on, and I I actually think in a weird way that you nailed the pairing. I think that this album goes really well um even though this I do too even though this album has unlike holy motors has a very specific theme and it can be just reduced down to one word and it's violence and yeah. that is trent reznor's aka nine inch nails the downward <laughs> spiral and we might say r.i.p to every other original member of nine inch nails <laughs> Yeah, I know. They, I, I, you know what's funny is, um, really quickly, as a, a quick aside, I went back and I watched the music video for March of the Pigs for mm-hmm. this, and <laughs> that music video just has Trent Reznor, like, ab- basically abusing all of his band members. Like, he just, like, pushes them to the ground and, like, kicks them, and I remember thinking, like, man, there was no worse gig than just being a part of Trent Reznor's band <laughs> in, in his career. Oh, Trent um, but regardless, this is probably the defining album of Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor's career up to this point. Who knows? He could make something later that also defines it. But it came out in 1994, and it serves as kind of the mainstream crossover or peak of the industrial rock, industrial metal sound of that era. And there is no better definition of that than the fact that this album is often defined as the catalyst for the Republican Party <laughs> trying oh. to pass laws and negotiate in with the recording label saying that this album was satanic and it promoted violence to kids. It was right. like they had been kind of pushing towards this idea for a while because but of gangster But this is after rap. Satanic Panic. It's after Satanic Panic, but it was such a catalyzing point that this is when the party jumped back in again. Like the satanic panic was kind of limited to it, it, to my understanding to a lot of smaller kind of like isolated laws that happened. This was one that. Well, I also think satanic panic was very, it was like everyone in the sense that Mm -hmm. every mother was afraid, like no matter if you're democratic Republican, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was just like every, every suburban mother was afraid of their kids listening to like, metal yeah exactly (laughs) whereas okay that's very interesting yeah so and it was a huge huge aspect of this project but regardless of that the music on its own stands and has stood the test of time what trent has done here and just to give like a background for how we recorded it he recorded it in the manson house like he moved into the house that Charles Manson killed people <laughs> to record some this album. Just, <laughs> some people are just fucking uh, like gluttons for trauma. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and this album, it, yeah, I, I should say, like, I should have, I, I, we maybe should say trigger warning for a lot of the conversations that will happen about this album, but like he dives into pretty much like the deepest and darkest parts of human psyche around specifically and violence. And what is so shocking about what should be a disgusting album that got no hype is that closer reached 40th on the hot, like hot 100 billboard. And the album went double or quadruple platinum within its first couple years. The album was an overwhelming success and really defined a lot of what was happening at the time. And there's a lot more I can say and I will say, but Nadira, how did you feel about it? And what do you like feel about Nine Inch Nails in general? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I just want to say really quickly that I was reading that up, uh a part of what got closer to its sort of like mega status is that the music video, which I have read is also incredibly horrific, like horrific, like horrifically like violent and horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, so much so that like people tried to get, uh, MTV like censored. Yeah. So it played regularly on MTV's rotation. And I just want to give a shout out quickly to like, the, the days of MTV playing music videos mm-hmm. because they were just so formative in like the hierarchy and structures of like the music industry in a way that I think a lot of people like at the time there's always pros and cons to everything right and so there's always going to be um, people who are disenfranchised by the way um, a structure and institution is set up but I really have a strong profound like sense of endearment for the days of when MTV was just like playing music videos nonstop and when you could track how popular a song would be or like where the music industry was going from the music videos that were playing for many reasons but mostly just because uh I'm clearly I love visual mediums and um the the levels to which it like pushed artists to like think outside the box and really harp on their visuals it's just like there was just some incredible stuff coming out around that era and i know that it's like there's also the the things of like well if you didn't really have that many resources then you couldn't really make a crazy video and then you know whatever whatever and like while that's true there were definitely lots of artists who didn't have that many resources who still pushed the envelope it's just like very cool period of time where people could all just like have a shared experience of like sitting down and watching that MTV music video of like, oh yeah, I saw that music video because it was playing on MTV last night. Oh, me too. I'll, and I'll quickly say, just for context, um, the things that got this the Closer Music Video banned is there was A, nudity. B, there were very violent descriptions of self-harm. There was a little monkey that was put inside of a cross. Like, it was hung on a cross. Um, the monkey was not hurt. But it was, like, tied to the cross like Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to, like, give a quick shout-out to that. Um, there was a really, really great um, song exploder, like the Netflix series Song Exploder, um, where Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor break down how they recorded and wrote um, the song Hurt, which is, like, I think at this point their most famous song because of the Johnny Cash um cover which to me like we can get there but 
I love the original song Hurt, and I'm going to put it out there. The Johnny Cash cover, it's okay, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not yes. doing it for me the way the, the OG song is doing it for me. Like, it's not bad by any means, but it, it's not like, I'm not like, oh my God, the Johnny Cash cover. Like, I don't understand why that was the iteration that helped the song blow up. But anyway. Because um, it was more yeah, palatable. So, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but you asked a very pertinent question, which is how do I feel about this album and how do I feel about Nine Inch Nails and how do I feel about Trent Reznor? I've always felt great about Trent Reznor. Um, he's always been like that weird fucking psycho cousin you have who's always on some shit, but like is also kind of always making solid points. And you're like, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> are you OK? But also, yes, I agree. Um, and so, you know, always been a fan of Trent Reznor. I don't really have much experience with Nine Inch Nails, but this album, I really liked it. I mean, it just felt like classic, like songs that um, were at some point in their heyday inescapable. So I wasn't like, oh, wow. I mean, some of the lyrics, some of the lyrics, I was like, oh, yeah. oh wow. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't overall like, I don't know. It just felt classic. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't really have much to say about this because it just feels familiar. But I mean that in like a good way. Yeah. <laughs> if I was a kid going through my emo phase, because don't lie, we all had one. Well, I'm still having mine, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would be bumping this album front to back over and over and mm-hmm. over and over and over and over. And my mom would be like, why do you keep listening to songs about men who want to violently have sex with you? And yeah. I'm like, you know, mom, you just got to let it be. <laughs> like, you just got to let it be. The heavy, like the heavy eyeshadow as you're saying yeah. it. <laughs> Some favorite songs include Heresy, mm-hmm. Closer, of course. Ruiner, March of the Pigs, it's just some of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I really like what, the, there's a lot of just like weird fucking sounds in it that are really yeah. cool. My um, my favorite personal track is The Becoming. Well, it's it's actually Hurt, but like my favorite track that yeah, no one, yeah. t- my favorite track that no one talks about is The Becoming because yeah, of Everyone's this, favorite track is Hurt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because of the screaming crowd sample. Because yeah. I, I think that people who can find like the chop are... Like some of the most talented musicians out there, like they can hear the loop and him being yeah. able to hear a crowd screaming and hear a loop hear out of a loop. crowd yeah. screaming. Insane. Absolute insanity. But kind of to talk more about like the influences of this album and why Trent Reznor and like what he did on this project and what he kind of like represented as one of the biggest rockers and at like his time was he very like unabashedly was just taking in influences from all of these different genres which were kind of like disjointed where you had like metal and then you Mm -hmm. had industrial music and then you had electronic music and then you had rock and Mm -hmm. he was like i want parts of all four of these things woven into what i'm creating and that's why he created the downward spiral and that's why his sound sounds so particular and like you kind of heard it like you said so many times and it is so classic because he was taking all of these classic things we know and creating this combination that has become so synonymous that we just recognize it and he was the kind of the touchstone of these sounds and i also think he like really great artists has a really interesting 
list of influences additionally upon this project. Like if you listen to it, like when I listen to The Becoming, I hear Prince. When I listen to other songs like Heresy, I hear David Bowie. When I listen to other songs, I hear Black Sabbath. Like it, it is, it's really like this combination of him taking like just the seeds of so many different artists and planting them together into this one fucked up tree, which, and I will say, I think another part of this narrative in specifically why Hurt transcends as one of the most important songs of like the of the entire American canon of music in my opinion. The reason why is because the whole narrative of this album is of a self-destructive narrator who goes through and continues on this violent self-destructive downward spiral until he eventually kills himself. And that is kind of like very heavily implied that this the penultimate track is his kind of like post-death mortem, but then Hurt is this incredible, beautiful, and poignant dissection of why he was there and of the pain and not just like of kind of this like violent representation of what he was going through, but also the pain that he was experiencing during it. And I think it's really rare for an artist to so fully commit to a concept and an idea that is utterly heinous and to humanize it so effectively where if you really struggle with you know any form of violence in your life and you hear hurt it will probably be like one of your favorite songs ever and also i agree i think that his version is better than the johnny cash version and i again believe fully that the reason the Johnny Cash version got so popular is because it's very palatable. And it's, I do, I will say, even though I disagree with Trent, it has one of my, this like, that whole experience of him covering it has one of my favorite quotes about music in it, which is that when Trent listened to it, he said in an interview that that wasn't his song anymore, which I think is like one of the coolest quotes I've ever heard in music of an artist saying that another artist like stole their song when covering it. But, Regardless, his combination of bringing together all of these kind of semi-related but not joined sounds yet, in addition to this really brave and harrowing narrative, is what made this album such a cultural cultural touchstone and also why he, as an artist, and his influences existed so far beyond this project. Trent Reznor is the shit, and he's still the shit. And if you don't realize like it's time you realize like just to list some of and like this isn't even to say some of the people he's worked with which include recently like Halsey and Lil Nas X but just Mm -hmm. to say some of the films that he's helped produce or like compose the score for and like television shows you've got the social network you've got girl with the dragon tattoo you've got gone girl you've got patriots day mid 90s bird box mank soul yes the pixar soul which is about <laughs> jazz music yep. like the new series the watchmen like the new hbo series watchmen all of them i mean he composed them together with atticus ross who's like also a legend but all of them are incredible like he's been in your ears whether you've known it or not and like we can acknowledge the fact that he's worked very extensively with marilyn manson but we can also just say mm-hmm. that he has also worked with crazy people like i said Lil Nas X, like old town road huh hello mm-hmm. excuse me where when why you know <laughs> he's also done remixes of like of course, Bowie songs, but like remixes of Peter Gabriel songs, 
remixes of Bowie songs, remixes he, of Queen songs. He's like a true like student, and like because he was a student, now a fabric of the culture. Yeah, he just is really always around, always out here, always called to the work. I think, which is just very impressive. Um, and yeah, it's just it's it's really cool to listen to this album and to hear the sort of like. Um, burgeoning development of this of someone who would go on to become one of the most uh, prolific creators in the music industry right now and collaborators in the music industry right now and to also just hear him talk about like dark shit I don't know albums Mm. that are trauma porn but trauma porn done well are very intriguing to me Um, always more so than like the I'm happy albums which is probably fucked up but um yeah i just it's just always fun to like hear people's ruminations on like all of the bad shit in life especially if they made something good and productive out of it which this album is i say all that to say that i agree um and it's it's just very interesting to hear and very cool to hear and i think we should move on and talk about next week yes um because we've said a lot because there's so much to say about both of these things um so for the next few times I will be, we will be doing the sort of opposite of our usual process, which we've done before, where I send a trailer mm-hmm. and Ben matches an album to the trailer instead of me picking a movie based on like a sample song that he would have chosen from an album. So I really needed um, <laughs> something just like comforting <laughs> lately. This is a rough and, week. <laughs> yeah. And not comforting in the sense that like, the movie that I chose is not 100% happy. In fact, it deals with a lot of very serious and very upsetting things. But it deals with them under the patina of like a really like you can do it. The good guys will win. And it's very clear that there's good guys versus bad guys movie. Like it's not complicated. It's easy to understand. It's like it's it's very Denzel Washington is in it playing you know that father figure that we always love to see him play it's very like even though it deals with even though it deals with very serious things that can be extremely upsetting and are in the film it's just got that patina of a really wholesome warm movie where the good people do good (laughs) (laughs) you know like I don't want to say win or lose because saying win or lose would actually be a spoiler for the film. So I'm not going to say win or lose, Um, but we're good people do good and do good work and are recognized for doing good work. I still have that to say that the film is the great debaters and I'm really excited because it's, it's one of those films that the film came out and I don't know that many people who went to go see it, but when it came on TV, you know, when it came on those like direct to TV channels, the, the movie channels, Oh, it was inescapable. Every time I entered a black person's home, this movie was on the television. (laughs) And it got to the point where I could quote it. It's very much a family film. I hope you enjoy it. And you have picked for me, friend. Yes. I, upon seeing the trailer, one, I did recognize the movie. I have not seen it, um, but I did recognize it. Um, And probably for the same reason where I would just like be scrolling through TV and I would see it on. Yeah. Um, and when thinking about just kind of an uplifting 
black album that kind of had that kind of main mainstream crossover and one that we hadn't talked about before. I really wanted to do Herbie Hancock's Headhunters because yeah. look, we all know but that whole album is crazy and Herbie Hancock is crazy and watching Big him facts. interview with Jacob Collier nowadays is crazy. I've so, seen that interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I just really want to talk about Herbie Hancock and celebrate what this man has done being this Titan of this intersection of jazz legend and pop savant. Yes, absolutely. I can't wait. I'm so excited. This was after a very tiring time <laughs> and a very tiring listening and watching experience might add yes this was holy motors in nine inch nails the downward spiral firmly off the list we will see you next time to the two and a half people who listen to this podcast and happy new year oh right this is our first podcast mm-hmm. recording in the new year happy new year Welcome to 2022 well I hope it's going better than mine is going. Just kidding. I'm going to be dramatic. <laughs> mine is not going that horrible. Um, but I hope it's going well. And we will see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. I'm a little Bert from Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson. And our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. 